0: Well, the short sayings, the two-line poems, the pithy life comments that form the bulk of the book of Proverbs, we've seen that that's not how the book began, and we'll see in our final reading that that's not how it ends either. In the first nine chapters, there's the exploration of the uh, theme of wisdom, what it is, what it isn't, and the seriousness of the message about wisdom. That is what Proverbs is going to give us, is not a few ideas about making life a wee bit better, a few helpful tips, but really unfolding a way of life, calling us to choose wisdom and choose life, to turn away from folly, which is the way that leads to eternal death. Chapter 9, verse 18. The book began by explaining how wisdom is not just some intellectual exercise, how it's not some bank of knowledge that we have, but it's a way of life, it's a way of feeding the Lord, verse 7 of chapter 1. And so the book ends by giving us an example of wisdom in action, culminating and ending verse 30 of the final chapter, again with an urging us to fear the Lord. Now, these verses that Leslie read for us, verses 10 to 31, they're actually an acrostic poem. That is, each verse begins with a letter and the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We have 26 letters in ours. They had 22 in theirs. So, it's a kind of A, B, C, D pattern right through. Um, We would have called it, I suppose, the A to Z of Wisdom. And that format suggests to us that what we've got here is not some logical argument that's set out, nor some exhaustive treatise on the subject of wisdom, but some kind of checklist or series of snapshots that make up a picture of a life that has lived with wisdom. The book of Proverbs, written when it was, and written in the society it was, um, was addressed largely to young men, But the book does not say that it's only for men, or indeed that only men matter. In fact, a number of places, it is a mother as well as a father who's instructing her son. And the first nine verses of this chapter 31 are sayings that the king got from his mother that she had taught him. Moreover, what is good and life-giving and wisdom is personified in the book as a woman— And so, at the fitting crowning point, a a life, sorry, a life lived wisely, a life lived in fear of the Lord, is described in particulars and specifics, and so has to be a particular or specific figure that we're given, and it's a woman. The characteristics are found in specific persons, so they have to be, as it were, explained in that way. And it's for women and for men, Um, just as we wouldn't say, because this is someone who has servants, um, that uh, it's, it's not for poor people. Here is a life of wisdom described, as I say, in that series of snapshots. What kind of life is it, this life that is lived in fear of the Lord? Well, first of all, we can say it's a hard-working life. Verse 27 says she does not eat the bread of idleness, and that's really putting it very mildly because she gets up early in the morning. In fact, she gets up while it is still night, verse 15. It's kind of sounding a bit like the Monty Python's Four Yorkshiremen sketch, isn't it? She gets up almost before she goes to bed kind of thing, such as her, her diligence, and she's working, verse 18, late at night. She's very busy managing the affairs of the household, verse 27. She buys in the raw materials, verse 13, and from these, verse 19, makes the family clothes and then makes, verse 24, other goods that she can sell. And from the proceeds, she makes wise investments, verse 16. And even if she is hard-headed in business, she is not hard-hearted, but she's generous towards the needy, verse 20, and manages even to fit in, verse 25, some homeschooling as well. Wow. Clearly, nobody, male or female, is going to do all of these. Seems for one thing as though she's not left anything for her servants to do. And the work that she's doing is not simply just dull, repetitive stuff, but she's creative. She evaluates, verse 18. She sees opportunities and possibilities. But as well as it being a hard-working life, it's a life of service towards others. The family she is providing for, and teaching. The servant, she is overseeing. The needy are remembered. She is caring about and for others. What she is making is for other people to eat, other people to wear. And she does it all, verse 13, with eager hands. She's not someone that you have to drag a favor out of. Not someone who's going to say, well, have you asked everyone else first before you come to me? There is no, do I have to? No, she's eager. And she's not going to be waiting for you to do something back to and for her. It's a life that is turned outwards towards others. And she's serving her Lord in all spheres, in all areas of life. Did you notice? It's a life lived in fear of the Lord. And we're given then, because of that, a picture of a God-centered life. And None of it is an especially religious activity. Here is godliness wearing working clothes. Here's Christianity in a boiler suit, except that she's probably a bit too upper class to be wearing a boiler suit. Much later in the Scriptures, the Apostle Paul says to those working in households as servants in Colossians 3, He says, Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's a similar point in the everything of life, in the repeated tasks of daily life, in the the getting up, the making the food, the getting clothes, the doing business, the organizing ourselves, the making sure that the young are being taught, and everything like that. It is God's work and God that we are serving. Not just in Colossians 3, but in many places, the New Testament makes exactly that, that point, that the Lord is the Lord of all of life, And everything is to be done in a way that pleases him. And so if we're Christians, then we are in Christ. And everything we are and everything we do is done in that context, from that place of being in Christ. So it's a hard-working life, a life for others, and a life that is serving God in everything that it's about and does. That is why Proverbs brackets everything with the phrase, the fear of the Lord, in chapter 1 and chapter 31, and also, as we've seen in different places as we've gone through the book, it comes as a recurring theme. We are to show honor and reverence and respect to the Lord always. We're to do that, as Paul says in Colossians 3, even when no one is looking. And so when we think that someone else is too trivial to bother with, when we think that our effort, our participation is not essential, that somebody else will do it. No. Everything, all that we are, is to be done enthusiastically for the Lord. It is all part of our response to the Lord, part of our living in His world, living the life that He has given us, living the life that Jesus has redeemed us for. There are to be no untouched areas, there are no parts of life and no parts of living that God is not interested in. There are no parts of life and no parts of living that God is not concerned about. Everything is to be done. And the context, as Proverbs says, and of the fear of the Lord, or as Paul would say, being done for reverence for Christ. Now, how do I learn to live that kind of way? by living in the fear of the Lord, having the outlook that recognizes that the world does not owe me a living, that recognizes I am here to serve, and recognizes that it's better to give than to receive, that recognizes that what is of ultimate worth is not what I have, but who I am, and so on. Now, I want... um, In concluding this series on Proverbs, I want to say something about the theme that has gone through the whole book, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to say something about that in relationship to verses such as 1 John 4.18, where the Apostle John says, "'There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear.'" Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So how does that verse, how does 1 John 4.18 sit alongside all that Proverbs is teaching? Proverbs is saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. John is saying there is no fear in love. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, which is it? Is fear the beginning of wisdom, or is it evidence of not having properly taken on board the love of God? Now, the difference in what these texts are saying is not, I repeat, not to do with the Old Testament God being stern and severe, and the New Testament God being more merciful and loving and more understanding. That's a nonsense. There is gracious love of God. In the Old Testament, there is severe judgment from God in the New Testament. There are not two gods or even two different faces or sides of God that we get in Old and New Testaments. Rather, the difference between the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and perfect love drives out fear is to do with the nature of fear itself, or rather to do with two different kinds of fear. The fear of the Lord that Proverbs commends is a fear that is mixed with love, that exists with and alongside love. We do not fear God because He is unpredictable, so that we're not sure how we're going to find Him each day. We do not fear God because He's inconsistent, and one day He's as nice as anything, and the next day He's spiteful and vengeful. Well, we do well to fear that kind of thing. We we do well to fear people or things that are so moody or unstable that we don't know what to expect. But that's not what the fear of the Lord is that Proverbs is speaking about. Proverbs is not saying that God is unpredictable, that you don't know what you're going to get. Rather, it is saying that God is predictable. We can trust him. And the fear of the Lord, is the, which is the beginning of wisdom, is a fear which enables us, inclines us, and constrains us because we fear the Lord, not because he is unpredictable, but because he is entirely dependable. And so we know his principles. We know something of the depth of his love. We know something of what he's done for us in Christ, and we don't want to let him down. We don't want to disappoint him. There is a safety, a security, an identity in belonging to the Lord. And when we prodigals are brought again into the family home and sat at the table and celebrated, we belong. And the God who does that is not going to throw us out as soon as we slip up. The God who welcomes the the prodigals into his home and seats them at the family table is not going to throw us out because our feet were dirty or because for a moment or three we forgot where we were and, and misbehaved. No, we see continually in the Gospels, Jesus being patient with the disciples. We see Peter overcome with fear when he denied Jesus three times. Why was was Peter afraid? Because he was fearful of what was going to happen to him. He was with people who had it in for Jesus and therefore would have it in for him. But Jesus himself didn't have it in for Peter. And so when Peter was given the news that uh, three days later that Jesus had risen, that the tomb was empty, he was one of the disciples who ran to the tomb with John to see for himself. He was scared about people he couldn't trust, people he, would, he, he knew weren't on his side, but that's not Jesus. And even when he'd mucked up, even when he'd slipped up, he knew that beyond that there was the love of God that would receive and forgive. He didn't need to fear Jesus because he loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. But Peter did go on living the rest of his life with the fear of the Lord in the way that Proverbs described it. He did live the rest of his life taking God seriously. He did live the rest of his life knowing that life was a gift from God and he was to use it for God. He did live in the fear of the Lord in the sense that he knew that everything he was and everything he did was done before the Lord. He did live in the fear of the Lord in the sense that he wanted God to be given respect and honor and glory and did not want to disappoint him because he loved him. That is, he didn't think, well, great, I can do what I like now and Jesus will let me off. Rather, he didn't want to let Jesus down the way he'd had when he denied him three times at Jesus' trial. You see the difference between the two things? So the fear of the Lord is not being wary or scared of one who has it in for us or who's unreliable. Rather, it's fear that comes from knowing that life lived in God's world is serious. Hey, it's a lot of fun as well. But it's serious too in terms of our purpose, our God-given purpose to love and serve and glorify Him. And as we do that, so we enjoy life in all its fullness as Jesus offered it and described it. Not by taking it easy, Not by being presumptuous, not by being complacent, but living that kind of life described here in in Proverbs 31, a diligent life, a life that is for serving others, and a life that recognizes that everything, everything is to be done to the glory of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, sometimes we want life to be in different compartments. We might want to keep work and leisure separate. We might have one kind of behavior, one kind of language for one group of people and a different one for another group of people that we're with. We might want the religious bit to be over here and the, the rest of life to be over there. But Lord, all of life, is lived in your world. All of life has lived in your creation. All of life has lived before Jesus who lived, died, and rose again for us. So, help us to bring that healthy fear of the Lord into our whole lives, into every aspect of our lives. Help us to move beyond, to do away with the unhealthy fear of the Lord, the one that's based on not being able to trust rather help us to understand as John says that perfect that love casts out that kind of fear in fact that kind of fear dishonors you by not trusting you so help us to trust and help us to engage fully in life lived for the glory of God for Lord you deserve every atom of glory